Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We are closing out our series that we've been in these last couple of weeks called Culture Killers. Culture Killers. And what we've been looking at uh, is this idea that, you know, when the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you have the authority to change the atmosphere wherever you go. And part of being a son and daughter of God is that you can walk into work, you can walk into your family, you can walk into a friendship or, or a relationship, and you can change the atmosphere in the room. We are, we are called to not just submit to current culture, but to be culture setters, that we, we carry the culture of being a new creation. And uh, there are certain things that come too easy. There are certain things that, that are just so natural that if we don't keep an eye on these things, they can kill the culture that we're meant to change. They can kill the culture that we're trying to establish. And so the first week, we looked at the power of the tongue. We looked at how society will always try to convince you that it's just words. It's not actions. But the Bible actually teaches that, that the tongue has the power of life and death. And so we need to be so mindful of what we allow to come out of our mouth and that what comes out of our mouth is actually an overflow of what we've allowed into our heart. Last week, Pastor Rodney shared about the importance of checking our pride, the importance of not just surrendering most things, but surrendering everything and, and the damage that can happen when you allow pride to seep in or creep in or to still live there and you don't surrender fully to God. Tonight, I want to close this series out really quick by, by talking about something that every single person in this room can relate to. Actually, anybody living on the, in the Northeast can probably relate to this. And I want to talk about the trap of the hustle. I want to look at some dangers that come in the hustle. You know, living in the Northeast, everything is so fast-paced. Everything is just so ramped up. You know, as, as uh, Scott mentioned a few minutes ago, my family grew up in Michigan. And so I, I grew up mainly in New Jersey. When I would go back to visit family in Michigan, even as kids, I'd be like, what is wrong with these drivers? Like, I don't understand what is, what, what is going on. The speed limit is 45. Why on earth are you going 45? The speed limit's 45. You can go at least 54 without getting a ticket. I don't understand. You know, you'd be like waiting in line uh, to check out somewhere, and everybody is so nice. It's like the cashier striking up a conversation with everyone she's checking out. And it's like, listen, if you guys want to be friends on your own time, that's so cool. But I'm trying to check out because i got to go somewhere. You know, it, it's so funny when you unplug from the culture that we live in and you go anywhere else that's not so fast-paced, you start to realize how stressed out of a person you actually are. You might think you're pretty chill. Go somewhere where it's slow, and you're going to be like, this, uh, this is, cr- I got to get me out of here. Like, I can't do this. We, we get so used to living at such a fast pace and getting caught up in the hustle, and it's really not a good thing. There are benefits to being a hard worker, and there's a difference. I want you to hear me tonight. I'm not speaking bad about having a good work ethic. That's important. And I believe that the way that we carry ourselves, the integrity that we have, being a hard worker shows people who Jesus is. But there's a difference between busyness and being a hard worker. There's a big difference. I remember a few years ago, I, I came across some, some research that was done about the importance of breathing and how it can be impacted by stress. And it actually blew my mind. I want to read you some of this. It says that each day we take about 26,000 breaths, which is about 14,000 liters of air. We should be breathing from our stomachs and not our chests. 
But what happens is, is when you don't naturally, when you don't think, when you're not intentional about breathing from your stomach naturally, you tend to revert to breathing from your, from your chest. And so when you're stressed, when you're distracted, when you're moving too fast and you're not thinking about it, you're not being intentional, you'll find yourself where you're taking shallow but frequent breaths. So you should be breathing about four to six times a minute. Four to six times a minute. That may not sound crazy to you. On your way home, try to only breathe four or five times in one minute. It's insane how long and deep of a breath you have to take in order to only do four to six a minute. But most of us, because we tend to breathe from our chest, we take on average between 16 and 20 breaths a minute. This is why it's so important. Scientists say that we should be getting 99% of our energy from our breathing. But most of us only access about 10 to 20% of that energy because we don't breathe right. How crazy is this? We are so busy, we don't even breathe right. <laughs> Wild. So when I saw this, I was like, man, that's crazy. So for a little while, I was trying to focus and concentrate on taking these big, slow, deep breaths and see if I would you know, feel a difference. And I remember when I got an Apple Watch a few years back, I saw that it had this feature, this breathing app. So this watch, I guess by your pulse, will know if you're breathing too shallow and you will get an alert saying you need to take some deep breaths. So after seeing this research, I was like, that's amazing because I don't have time in the day to be thinking about how I'm breathing. If this thing can remind me, I'm sure I'm going to see a huge difference. Do you know what happened? When I'm caught up in the business of my day and the thing dings, I need to breathe. I'm like, shut up, dismiss. I don't have time for this right now. <laughs> Even when, when it's telling me you're not breathing right, I'm like, but I, gotta, I don't have time to sit down and to breathe right and to concentrate on my breathing right now. I've got to get stuff done. It's so wild how when we can get caught up in the pace of life, we can forget something that's as important enough as energy and breathing. How the heck am I supposed to live this life that God has called me to if I'm just caught up in the hustle 24-7? If I'm just trying to keep up the pace, if I'm just trying to, to survive, how am I ever going to be able to live this life that God has created me to live? But the problem is deep. See, society teaches us that, that busyness is something to be respected. Even this term hustle, he hustles, she hustles. I use it myself to compliment somebody. Man, they, they get it done. They, they go till they, they, they can't go anymore. They keep going until something happens. They, they hustle. And, and, and we use it as, a, as a, a compliment because in our minds, I think we really do believe that if someone just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going, then that reveals good work ethic. In our minds, we believe that if someone just doesn't stop, if they just keep going, well, at some point, something's got to break, right? And it's probably going to work out for them. I have so much respect because they just don't stop. But the Bible doesn't teach us to do that. Actually, Jesus teaches so much about the importance of rest. You read in, in, in Psalm, David actually says, he prays to God, teach us the number of our days that we may apply our hearts to learn wisdom. James actually says in his book, life is like a vapor, a mist, a morning fog. It is here one minute and it is gone the next. When you read wisdom in the Bible, you see these authors, these people who realize that every day that we have on earth is actually a gift from God. And when we get caught up in the hustle, we can just be so looking towards the future that we take for granted these moments, these days that we've been given. And before you know it, you're going to be old and gray and you're going to be looking back on your life and you might have a, a full calendar to show for it but nothing of meaning, nothing of purpose. I want to read you through a really quick story a lot of people in here have heard before. You, you probably have heard it preached on a number of times, but it, it's 
you can't illustrate busyness any better than this passage in Luke chapter 10. We're going to throw it up on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. You can follow along. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her house. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively, say attentively, before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated or, or frustrated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think that it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha. This cracks me up. How many people know it's something totally different when you call your child by their first name or when you call them by their first and middle name? They know the difference. Like, oh, I'm in for it right now. Jesus, I believe, is really just trying to get her attention. Martha, Martha, listen, why are you anxious and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted. Say undistracted. And I will not take this privilege from her. I want to give you three really quick dangers of getting caught up in the hustle. First thing I want you to write down is this. The hustle will keep you on your feet instead of sitting at his. The hustle will keep you on your feet instead of sitting at his. Listen, the danger of busyness Again, we're not talking about, we're not dissing hard work. We all need to, to be hard workers and have integrity and do the best with what we can. But, but the danger of busyness is that it keeps you from Jesus, or in this case, it keeps you from the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't want to just bash Martha. I think Martha deserves a little bit of credit. Martha is actually the one who goes out and she invites Jesus into the house. You know, sometimes we can just be really critical of Martha, but let's not forget the fact that Martha was actually the one who first invited Jesus into the home. But what we begin to see is there's a big difference between Jesus just being around and actually sitting attentively and absorbing everything that Jesus is. A lot of us, we make the decision to invite Jesus into the house, to invite Jesus into the life, and then we wonder why we're not really starting to feel any different. There's a difference between being around Jesus and actually spending quality time with Jesus. What you start to see is that this model that, that Mary had, Mary was sitting. Mary was attentive. Mary was, it says, absorbing all the revelation that Jesus was giving. Mary was listening and learning. Martha was distracted and caught up with doing. Martha was so concerned with everything that needed to be done. Take for a second, just look at the fruit from these two different approaches. It is a good thing for Mary. Mary's sitting there and she is absorbing everything that Jesus is talking about. And it's such a good thing that Jesus says to Martha, I'm not going to take it away from her. Look at the fruit of being distracted with doing, being busy. Martha is stressed out. She's frustrated. She's exhausted because of these two approaches. They both love Jesus. Jesus was around both of them, but one of them prioritized spending quality time with Jesus over being busy and all the other things that needed to be done. 
Isn't it so telling that Jesus, when he addresses Martha, he says your anxious and troubled heart is because you've been distracted by many things. You've been wearing this pressure of doing a lot of things, and that is actually your source of anxiety and frustration and trouble. Jesus is not reprimanding Martha. Jesus is explaining to Martha that she doesn't have to live this way. I'll be super candid with you. Even as somebody in full-time ministry, the moments in life where I have slipped into the trap of making the priority, building this campus, building the church, always leads to frustration. You might think, how is that possible? If you're doing God's work, when I make it about how hard I can hustle and what we can accomplish and, and the, the campus growing, when that is my main priority, that always leads to frustration and stress, disappointment, discouragement sometimes. But the times where I can sit back and say, no, no, my priority is me and Jesus being close, me spending time with Jesus. What happens is, is nobody loves the church more than Jesus. Nobody has a heart for the church more than Jesus. So that's just going to end up happening inside of me. But the focus is not me getting something done. The focus is me being who I was called to be, and that's being someone who's in relationship with Jesus. That's someone knowing that I am a son of God. And so my priority in life is not being distracted with all of the things that need to be done, but it's actually being who I was called to be. If you narrow this down, I, th- I think that we could really make this so simple moving forward from here on, on out tonight. If there's going to be a question that you ask yourself, a question that you model your, your tomorrow after or this week after or your life going forward after, the question that so many of us ask and, and we allow to shape our day is what needs to be done? What needs to be done? I, I'm type A. Every day when I, when I am on my way to work, I'm usually making a list in my phone. When I get to work, I'm transferring that list onto paper, and I'm actually adding some things that I thought of after I made the first list, and I get a weird sense of satisfaction crossing things off of that list. That's how I am. Can I tell you something? There will always be answers to what needs to be done. That list will always be there. A better question is, what does he have for me to do? God, what do you want me to do? As, as people who live in right relationship with God, that is the question that should shape and frame my existence. God, what do you have for me to do? This is why it's so important. I can answer the first question, what needs to be done, without any communication with God. The second question, God, what do you have for me to do? I only get that answer from having intimacy with God from being close to him, from spending time with him, from sitting, from listening, from learning, from being quiet, from absorbing what he's trying to speak to me and pour into me. God, what do you have for me to do? I can answer the first question on my own. I can come up with a bunch of stuff, but I shouldn't be surprised when I start to see things that Martha was struggling with, like anxiety and discouragement and frustration and stress, all of these things creeping up in my life. This should not take me off guard if I'm just spending my day answering what needs to be done and I'm trying to do it on my own. There's a big difference between I'm going to go through my day and when something bad happens, I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, be with me. You should do that if that happens, but a a better approach is you spend time with him in the morning and you say, hey, Jesus, you know what my day is going to look like, and so I pray that you would be there. So now in the moment when life 
throws you something you didn't see coming, you are not reacting. You were actually proactive that morning by saying, Jesus, I need you to go before me and I need you to be with me in everything. It's a whole different approach to life. You see in Psalms, David says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. You might be someone in here who hustles tonight. Can I just say this? You will probably, if not already, you will build something. It's possible to build an entire life by having good work ethic and being busy and hustling and being a go-getter. It is possible to build something, but it's also possible to have something built that doesn't resemble God at all. It's possible to spend a lot of time being a watchman, trying to protect your family, trying to provide for your family. Maybe you're somebody who's always trying to think ahead. You know, you're trying to eat right, trying to be healthy, trying to make sure you're, you're fit. You're trying to, you know, you stress about things like disease and you hear people get sick and, and you can stay up all night, every night. You could worry yourself for years and it still really doesn't change the fact if something happens, something happens. Life can happen, right? You can pride yourself on being the best provider possible. You know that your physical ability to be able to provide is a gift from God? It is possible to hustle your whole life and build a life that looks nothing like the one you were created to live. You were created in the image of God. But now you have a choice of what you begin to build with that life. It is possible to spend a lifetime building something that looks nothing like him. I don't want to spend a lifetime hustling and being busy and being exhausted all the time and being frustrated at times and being anxious and being discouraged and wrestling with all of these things Living for things that don't even matter. I love Jesus. She says, does it really matter at the end of the day? Does it, does it even really matter, Martha? Does it matter? The second thing I want you to write down is that the hustle will bring you to a place of comparison. The hustle always has a way of bringing you to a place of comparison. When you allow the focus of your life to be your hustle, your grind, how hard you're working, that you're not going to give up. I'm going to keep going till I get there. You put the focus on your own efforts. The problem with that is that at some point, you got to size up and gauge your efforts with something, and so you look to somebody else to gauge your own effort and your own outcome and your own success. And so the very people that are around you that you're called to serve and to love, you end up competing and comparing yourself with. And then we wonder why we live lives that don't, we don't get any fulfillment out of and we're exhausted all the time and we're never happy. Because God hasn't placed people in your life for you to compare yourself with them or to compete with them. He's actually placed people in your life so that you could be an encouragement and they could be an encouragement. Like iron sharpening iron that you could build each other up, that you could do life together, that, that you would be in healthy community. That has a way of crumbling when you pride yourself on, on hustling, when you pride yourself on being busy, when you pride yourself on your own efforts and what you're, what you're doing. How funny is it how quick Martha turns on her sister in this story? I, you know, it's so funny. I was, I was joking around on Sunday. I feel like I can picture what Martha was doing because it's probably how, as a type A person, how I would have acted. I could imagine Martha inviting Jesus into the home Shortly after kind of noticing that Mary made herself nice and cozy at the feet of Jesus. Meanwhile, it's like the dinner's not going to cook itself. The rest of the house is not going to clean itself. 
And I could imagine myself being in Martha's shoes. You know, I was okay with it for the first couple minutes. Now it's getting a little obnoxious. So I could picture myself like shutting the cabinet door a little harder so that somebody would hear like, yeah, there is somebody in the kitchen cooking still. I could imagine myself dropping and breaking something. Like, yeah, that was the sound of a dish breaking because somebody's actually cooking in the kitchen and waiting for some acknowledgement and recognition at some point, but, but then literally going through this entire time and not getting it, and as a result of not, not seeing what she was hoping for come to pass, now she's growing more and more frustrated to the point where she begins to take it out on her sister. And this is the thing. You know, these were good things that Martha was doing. A lot of us in here, what fills our schedule is not crazy bad Wretched things, those have a way of sneaking in there at times, but most of what fills our schedule is okay things, good things. But what Jesus is showing Martha is if you were to prioritize these things, you need to see that they're not all equal. That Mary has chosen the, one, the most important thing, the good thing. Because Martha didn't do that, Martha grows frustrated. She compares her effort with her sister's effort. You see that the way that Mary conducted herself was life-giving. The way that Martha was conducting herself was life-draining. And she got to the point where she was on empty, and it boiled over, and because she compared herself to her sister, she throws her sister under the bus. Not only does she compare and compete with her sister, she's so frustrated at this point, she gets critical of Jesus. I mean, you got to be in a way to interrupt the Son of God and let him know, you know what you should be doing? I know what you're saying is probably pretty important, and it really seems like Mary's enjoying it, but you know what you should be doing? You should be telling Mary to get off her butt and come help me in the kitchen. Martha is in such a bad way because she allowed herself to get caught up with busyness, with being distracted, with, with, with doing things that need to be done, but they're always going to be there. You have this time where the Son of God is in your house wanting to spend time with you, Wanting to pour into you, wanting to give you life, and you are draining your own right out from under you because you're allowing yourself to be distracted with doing. You've allowed yourself to fall into the trap of the hustle. This is so easy, so easy to happen. Now with social media, now with the phone in the palm of your hand, you're seeing everybody's highlight reel all the time. It is so easy to see what is happening in somebody else's life and to, to gauge it off of what is not happening in your own. It, it, it's so easy to just assume, well, that person must have worked harder, or that person must have done this, or that person must have done that, because I'm over here trying to do what I can do, and I haven't seen success like that. God is not comparing your life with somebody else's. The only person that God compares your current life to is the person he has created you to be, and he is doing everything that he can do so that you can walk in that lane. Hey, I didn't, I didn't create Mike to be Joe. I didn't, I didn't create Mike to compare himself to Joe or to compete with Joe. I created Mike to be the Mike that I created him to be. And so, Mike, I'm going to keep working on you until you start to walk in that lane and you start to be everything that I've called you to be. If you live a life of being distracted with doing, you're never going to see that. You're going to lead or get led to the point of just utter frustration where it boils over on everyone around you. This last thing that I want to point out to you as I call the band up and we begin to close is that the hustle has a way of hiding the moment. The hustle can hide the moment. You know, when, when, when you just go and go and go and go and you just get caught up in the busyness of life, it has a way, like I just said a second ago with Martha, of just completely draining you. 
a really dumb illustration, but I remember one time driving back from Florida uh, when I, where I was going to school, and uh, I didn't have anyone to come with me that time in particular, so I drove back by myself. Of course, I hit traffic at the bridge. Why wouldn't I when I'm by myself and I've been up for 18 hours? And so it ended up turning like a 24-hour thing. Probably had like five Red Bulls in me. I'd gone through like two and a half bags of seeds at that point. Do whatever I could do to stay awake, feeling like garbage, absolute garbage. I remember... You know, as I'm driving, trying to stay awake, picturing just going home and eating a good meal, seeing my family, you know, who I hadn't seen in months, all of these things. Do you know what happened? I pushed myself and pushed myself and pushed myself and pushed myself and refused to get a hotel and sleep through the night. I'm not doing that. I'm driving straight through. I pushed myself until the point where I remember pulling into the driveway and walking up the steps, and my parents were there to greet me at the front door, and I was literally like, hey, can't do this right now. I need to go lay down or I'm going to die right now. And I can remember, I didn't want to eat. I remember being so exhausted, laying in bed. I was so tired. I couldn't fall asleep. I was just so depleted of everything at that point. I thought I was going to die. So many of us live our lives in a way throughout the week. You come in here on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night to get refreshed and you can't even receive anything. You're so depleted. Let's just talk about pouring into somebody else. You can just throw that up against the side or against the wall because that ain't happening. I'm doing everything that I can do to survive my own chaos right now. You're up here trying to talk about serving other people, loving other people, encouraging. I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to live. Not only do we deplete ourselves to the point where we have nothing left to give, sometimes we're so exhausted we can't even receive what God is trying to give. Martha was robbing herself of an opportunity to get poured into. As I have the band come up, I'm going to bring this in. I want to just take a few minutes as we close today and and respond. You know, Jesus explains this to Martha by saying you're anxious and troubled like we talked about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that one thing. She has chosen the good thing which can never be taken away from her. While you're being consumed with things that one day don't mean anything. What are we allowing ourselves to be consumed by? What are we allowing ourselves to be driven by? You know, if we can take notes from these these guys who had an intimate relationship with their creator and realize and are praying, God, show me how fleeting life is. Show me how every moment is a gift, how every day is a gift. I think I would begin to reprioritize how I spend my time. Where I, where I place my energy. You know, when you read the Gospels and you read about all of these crazy things, the, the thing that you always see in common is that Jesus was present in every single moment. Like when Jesus was before somebody, they had 100% of his undivided attention. This is crazy because Jesus lived one of the most stressful, chaotic lives of anyone who ever walked the face of the earth. Not not only did Jesus know that he was about to die, but he was constantly facing people talking about him, ridiculing him, trying to ruin his reputation, persecute him, and all of these things. He's casting demons out, healing people, bringing freedom, all this stuff. And yet Jesus, in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of all those things that would be vying for his attention, was always able to be fully present in every moment. I, I was created to live in a way where I'm not driven by this idea of success, but I'm driven by this idea of, God, you have a plan and a purpose for my life. And I'm not always going to be perfect, but I don't want to be driven by my own efforts and by getting things done and by keeping up with so-and-so and and that thing and that thing. I want to be driven by, I want to be who you created me to be. 
I want to be who I'm called to be. God, I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want to take a moment for granted. We can get into this trap where we're so focused on the future that you overlook what's right in front of you. You're so future focused, you overlook the present. You know, something as a dad that has stuck out to me, and I can see myself doing it. There'll, there'll be weeks where we have meetings, and I'm meeting with different people about things. And I might go sometimes two or three nights where I have something every night. And I'll, I'll lay in, uh, in bed awake sometimes, and I'll feel guilty, and I'll beat myself up about the fact, like, man, I haven't really been able to spend time with my kids these few days. And it's, it's crushing me. Every birthday that goes by, I'm kind of reminded that, my daughter is a year older. My son is a year older. And, you know, I, life is short, and I don't want to take for granted this time that I've been given with my kids. And, and I can be looking forward to the next night where I'm spending time with them. You know what happens so often? I'll have the night where I don't have anything going, and I'm at home, and I can go through the whole night, and I can be around my kids, but actually not be enjoying my kids and not be mentally present. And then I realized when I'm putting them to bed, I really didn't spend any quality time with them. I spent my whole night with my kids stressing about what I have going on at work tomorrow, stressing about the meeting that hasn't happened or, or stewing about the meeting that just happened. I, I spent this entire time being around my kids but not really being with my kids. I, I could only imagine that God feels similar. Not that we don't have his undivided attention, but we don't give him ours. Like, I, I didn't die to just be around you. I died to be in relationship with you. I, I died to do life with you. Jesus ascended back to the Father so that his spirit could come live inside of us. And so many of us, we, we settle for such a, a garbage imitation of what that relationship is supposed to look like. I, I get content with coming to church once a week and being around God. I just don't prioritize actually spending time with God. And then I wonder why I'm so stressed out about everything. I wonder why I'm, I'm so troubled about everything. So I'm so anxious, and I wonder why I'm having trouble breathing. I wonder why I'm having trouble sleeping. And I believe simply that, that Jesus died to spend time with you. Jesus died to be close to you. Jesus wants to speak to you. But until you position yourself to be in a place where you can listen and you can receive. Just like Martha, you can get pulled away by distractions and by doing way too easy. Many people in here, you, you try to define who you are by what you do. When really, what you do should be coming from who you are. Too many of us, you live for what you do you allow that to take priority because that's where you find your identity. And God is saying, no, I created you in my image. I love you. I chose you. I formed you in your mother's womb. I died for you before you ever, ever had a chance to serve me or to love me back. You are my son and my daughter. So the way that you spend your time, the way that you live your life, what you choose to do should be an overflow from who you know that you already are. Man, what would life look like if we just allowed this question of, God, what do you want me to do today? Be the number one question that we frame our day around. I've said this before, you know, sometimes I'm a planner. I remember getting frustrated uh, and overwhelmed when people would talk about being in God's will for your life. Like, well, how am I going to know who I'm supposed to marry? And how am I going to, like, I'd, I'd write all, I can't, 
the thought of being in God's will for my life 10 years from now was the most overwhelming thing. But I felt like God simplified it for me. It was like, hey, if you just concentrate on being in my will for your life today, like you just start your day off by being like, God, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. Give me wisdom to get through the day. If there's an opportunity you want to give me to help somebody or speak somebody or, or to, to receive something from you, to be encouraged by you, just let me see that. If I could just focus on that for today. And then tomorrow, I come right back to that place. I'm like, you know what, God? Today, I just want everything that you have for me. If I just did that every single day, guess where I would end up in 10 years from now? In the center of God's will. But when I focus on God, what do you have for me in 10 years? I overlook the present, and I don't get out of today what I was supposed to get out of today. I sacrifice who I was called to be for what I'm trying to build. God's not, God's not concerned with what you're trying to build. He's concerned with you being who you're called to be. You leave the building up to him. You leave the life that you desire up to him. You just be who you're called to be. You spend time in his presence. You prioritize just being with Jesus, and that stuff will work out. And that stuff will be life-giving, not life-draining. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.